Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Alex Gehring, and I've got a great episode for you that we recorded yesterday at Recharge. I want to get straight to it, so here's my interview with Jimmy Mackin. Hey guys, Alex Gehring with Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR, and I am so lucky to be sitting here right now with Jimmy Mackin. Jimmy, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Just got off stage at the Recharge event, a great audience. I think this is one of those events that... You know, to have 600 plus people show up in an event for uh, in the middle of a work week is pretty special. So you guys should be really proud of what you guys have done here. Well, thank you so much. I actually, I think that this is one of the best uh, attendances for recharge that we've ever had. I think yeah. it's, it's, it's... I'll take a little bit of credit for that. You, That's right. You <laughs> should take a little bit of credit for it. I think that our, our layout this year is really great mm-hmm. to have two awesome speakers like, like you and Stefan. So, sure. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Jimmy. Yeah, well... Uh, I think the relevant part of my story is certainly my business uh, career. You know, grew up in New Hampshire. I'm one of six kids. I uh, live in Boston, Massachusetts. Been here for the last ten years, and uh, started a, a marketing company specifically designed to help real estate agents grow their business. But before I even started Curator, uh, I, I entered into the space about a decade ago. Um, you know, I entered into it naive, not knowing anything about this industry, but understanding uh, in my heart of hearts that if you have the ability to take an industry like real estate, which was you know very much behind the times as it relates to technology and be able to present and coach and teach these individuals how they can use technology to grow their business, then I thought that'd be a huge opportunity for me personally, professionally, and for my business. And what has happened since is uh, we've been able to connect and build meaningful relationships with feels like hundreds of thousands of real estate agents over the last uh, decade um, and helping them grow their business using technology, which is something obviously that's been you know, at the core of what we do and what I'm passionate about. That's amazing. So, so talk to me a little bit about how you decided that real estate was what your marketing company was going to be focused on. Yeah, so I was working at a time in uh, Stoughton, Massachusetts, taking the uh, commuter rail over to a Remax organization, making $400 a week, helping them design their website and helping okay. them market themselves through SEO and pay-per-click ads. And uh, I didn't know anything about real estate, uh, and they didn't know anything about technology. So it was sort of like a nice little marriage there. But what became really obvious during that experience was that uh, this industry, because I was doing other consulting outside of real estate, this industry in particular was unique because this industry uh, has a deep connection with each other. I mean, they're, they're competitors, but they're at the exact same time they have to cooperate. They have to work together. So what was interesting to me at the time was if you were able to develop a relationship with a particular brand, a particular broker, a particular agent, you would be able to actually be able to really quickly spread because they talk to each other. Dentists don't talk to each other. You know, <laughs> Lawyers, except in the, in the court of law, generally don't have to talk to each other that often. Real estate agents have to work together. They have to actually transact together. And there's a certain bond even though they are competitors. So it's one of those things where you have sort of this Alex's network effects where the ability for you to connect with an individual that helps share you with other people and then other people and then other people can help your brand and your business really explode. That's unique to real estate. It's unlike most industries out there. And uh, that became really obvious to me earlier in my career that this would be a space that would be, you know, I think really perfect for what we're trying to do here. That's awesome. So how long ago was that, can I ask? Yeah, geez. Uh, I started Curator six years ago with my partner, Chris Smith. Uh, and Andrew Leaf, and uh, it was probably three or four years prior to that is when I really got into the real estate space. So I'm 33 now, and I was 22, 23 at the time. Awesome. 
Mm-hmm. Very cool. That's very cool. And that just happened like really that you've grown tremendously since you started. Yeah. Listen, growth is, you know, we were the fastest growing company in the country. Uh, we were top 500. I think we were number like, geez, I want to say 300 entire country, top 10 in Boston, uh, top like 30 in Massachusetts. Massachusetts is obviously a very uh, techno- technology advanced area with lots of businesses booming. Uh, we went from two, three people to 85 employees. And, uh, you know, but listen, I, I want your listeners to understand something that, uh, that these are all, you know, doing $15 million a year in revenue. That's a great number. 85 employees. Great number. Having, you know, uh, the fast growing company in the country, one of them. Great. But like that doesn't tell the whole story, Alex. Uh, growth is hard. You deal with challenges along the way. Oh, you sure. have to think about cash flow. You have to think about hiring. You have to think about your marketing strategy. You have to think about what you do and your services. So, you know, I, I think that some people, when they talk about growth, they talk about it in this sort of um, this framework that puts you in a position where you, you, if you are not successful by whatever means of definition you have there, you uh, put these unrealistic barriers of, of uh, pressure on yourself to 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 achieve something that is someone else's goal and i want your listeners to understand that uh your level of success should be determined by you your level of growth how big you want to be should be determined by you you should not try to live someone else's dreams you know curator we want to take over the world and we want to be a household name in the business space we want to be that sort of shark tank-esque type of brand in the sense that when businesses think of marketing they think of curator but the problem is, is that that comes with a lot of challenges. That comes with a lot of investments. Uh, you know, it, it's it, you putting in this 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 week alone. I, you know, we got. I'm probably. I did. I worked all weekend this past weekend. I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm I've got like 80, 90 hours a weekend. You know, and that and that's and, and that isn't always the case. But that type of commitment is required for the thing that we're trying to do. And man, I wish I was more efficient. Man, I wish I could fit it in a forty-hour work week. I don't. I don't like. Th- I don't think it's a good thing to work that many hours. Uh, but like, it's just. Um, I I just need that time to get the work done. So when you talk about growth, I do think it's important for the listeners to understand that if you got a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year business and you're profitable and you're making money and you do something you love, more power to you, right? That's it. Stop staring at the slacks and the Amazons and the Apples of the world, seeing those billion-dollar revenues and trying to determine like, oh, I want to be like them. Like, who cares? Be what you want to be. Grow as fast as you want to grow. One of the interesting lessons I had to learn in the space was that um, real estate agents, not all of them want to be top producers. Isn't that interesting? It, it is completely true. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's just, in my mind, it's, it's wired differently for yeah. me. I, to my, in my mind, I'm, I'm saying, like, we got an opportunity. We got this moment in time. We want to do something special. Let's get it. And that is my, my wife. Um, runs a yoga studio in Wakefield, Massachusetts. And and I'm like, babe, things are working out great. I said, I said, you got, you know, they're doing $240,000 a year. It's a single studio. It's like a few teachers. I'm like, you're going great. I'm like, you guys should open a second studio and a third studio. And she's like, no, I like it. She's content. She's yeah. content. And yeah. I'm like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, <laughs> And she's like, I, she she likes that thirty hours a week. And and listen, it's thirty hours a week of yoga. So like, it's like thirty hours. Super a week. relaxing. It's, it's super relaxing. Exactly. So it's like, that's really that's really don't like, screw up your zen, man. Uh, man. I need I need some of that to rub off on me. It ain't working. It ain't working. So yeah, I would just say in terms of the the growth of the company and what we've been able to achieve, I think it's exciting. You know, we're cer- certainly proud of the work that we've done. We certainly feel like the story is still very much untold. But at the same time, I, I want your listeners to really appreciate the fact that whatever that means for you, you gotta you gotta. Define find that up front because it makes every other decision you make after the fact easier. 
one, what do you think? You hit on something I wasn't expecting you to hit on right now, but I, it's something I think about quite a bit. What do you think the pe- those agents out there that don't want to be top producers, mm-hmm. what is it that they're driving for? I mean, you can't succeed in this business, even at you know the 40% level, without some kind of drive, mm-hmm. without something driving you yeah. um, to, to be successful. It's just too hard. It really is. Yeah. So what is it that's driving those agents if it's not this desire to be a top producer? Well, it's probably similar to my desire to be rich. My desire to be rich has nothing to do with my desire to basically live, live in a big house and have a nice car and be able to buy fancy clothes. My desire to make money and develop and build wealth is my desire to be independent, to be able to do whatever I want to do. And that's always been ingrained in me since I was a kid is that like I grew up in a family where uh, I had a lot of independence. My parents had six kids. And we're all within like five, six years of each other. So, you know, my parents could not, my two working parents, they could not watch us. They could not like yeah. raise us. You know, my mother, my parents did a great job raising us, but like they couldn't like monitor us. So we were left to our own devices. And what's ensued was chaos, but I loved it. I love that independence. So if you're in a position right now where you don't necessarily want to be a top producer, it doesn't mean you don't want to be successful. I think they, they might be driven more by independence than they are to acquire wealth. That's one possibility. I don't want to psychoanalyze what everyone's trying to do with their business, but I would say that like my feelings towards it is that my goal to acquire wealth is to be able to be able to be independent. So I don't have to I don't have to work for a living. I can do the things I love to do. I just happen to love the thing that I do right now, and that's why I don't mind putting the work in. But it isn't for money. It isn't for wealth. It isn't for fancy cars. I don't I don't care about any of those things. Um, I'm just I, I just am so viscerally opposed to having to work for somebody else and wake up at a certain time and clock out (laughs) at a certain time. Like that is just wired in my brain. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, that's sort of to a large degree probably why I push myself to the level I push myself. I was going to say, you seem kind of like the guy that probably gets up at like five o'clock in the morning. No, I don't get up at five o'clock. No, I don't. Like, listen, those people are insane. I'm, I'm like... Listen, I, 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 I'm, a, I, I'm getting up at like 8.39. There okay? we go. Yeah. And, and then you show up here at 9 o'clock, I maybe should, hear the rest of – Yeah. That, that's like that's – they text me earlier like, say like oh, you got to be there at 7.30. I'm like, I'm not being there at 7.30. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is – but to your point is that like people get up at 5 in the morning. Uh, Hal Elrod, who we had on the water cooler, talked about this. He had, we got up at 5 in the morning and he – um. You know, he's got the miracle morning. People who want to reset their lives. I get it. Like, I, I, I think those individuals have a lot of uh, uh, drive and self-control. But listen, they're going to bed at 8 o'clock. They ain't going to bed at 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning. They're going to bed at 8 o'clock. So let's be real. They're still getting their 8 hours. They just have to shift the rest. Of it. So they're making right. it all look bad. But they're, they're they're getting their eight hours. They don't get sleep. to party, man. They, they miss the like all of all of everything else that happens <laughs> after eight o'clock at night. So I'll let them get up at five in the morning. I'll take my nights. Well, one of the things that I think is really interesting about you is that you have. I mean, from the very beginning of this journey that you've taken with Curator, Mm -hmm. you have been focused on real estate marketing. Mm -hmm. And there are very few companies out there that have that. So I feel like you have an insight that hardly anybody has. Um, And so I have a couple of questions Mm -hmm. about your presentation. Sure. Um, Number one, you it seems like you take things that we all inherently know. Mm hmm. 
these things that we know because we receive crappy marketing from other industries all the time, yeah. and yet we fail to implement them in our own business. Mm-hmm. And so I've got, this is a two-party question. It's mm-hmm. another, unfortunately, it's another why question. So you're going to have to psychoanalyze a little <laughs> sure. bit. So, so what, first of all, explain that piece of it for our listeners who maybe, hopefully you're at Recharge, but explain that piece of your presentation, some of those pieces, mm-hmm. and then why do we as agents not recognize how we're treating our customers badly, basically. So the first part of your question, to be clear, is you're asking, uh, how do I, or why do I take uh, existing marketing ideas and apply a sort of a new twist to them? Yeah. Okay. Um, The the reality is is that a lot of these ideas uh, have become bastardized over time because someone along the way said this was a good idea, we should do it, and then someone did it and maybe had moderate success and then told their friend and told their team and told their agent, you need to do this, this is what I use. And what no one has ever really asked themselves is, is there a better way? And if you fail to ask that simple question, you very quickly become irrelevant. And when do you ask that question? Do you ask it the first time that you hear this marketing idea? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think I'm a fan, you know, listen, I work for a living. We, we, we do not go around the country, speak and talk and theorize about what to do. We're out there actually in the trenches with our clients. And the reality is, is that you have to, before you dismiss an idea outright because you don't like it, you think it's stupid, you think it's inefficient, you don't think it's going to work, you've got to test it. You got to try it. You got to experiment with it. And, and if it's working for you, then you have an opportunity to maybe go a little bit further. Now, what you should always, always ask is, what is the purpose behind this campaign? What is the outcome in which I am trying to achieve? And how am I going to get there? So if you're trying to figure out or trying to analyze how to find that better way, you have to sort of break it down to what they call first principles thinking, which is understanding specifically the outcome you're trying to achieve with that particular marketing campaign in order to be able to build on top of it. So as the example I gave, or one of the many examples I gave during Recharge was this this, uh, script that people use to generate referrals. That everyone hates on me. I get lots of negative comments. It's the, oh, by the way, I'm never too busy for referrals. People think I'm taking a shot at Brian Buffini. I'm not. I'm just pointing out the fact. I think that what you said was really smart people say really dumb things. That's exactly what I did say. I wasn't going to repeat that, but yes. Like, listen, I I say dumb things that you may disagree with. Like, like, that's the point. When you talk a lot for a living, like, you're going to say things are like, all right, this is a good idea one time, but like, it needs to evolve. It needs to to progress. So I think for me, the thing is, is that something like that – the reason that works is because you did an amazing job delivering great service, and if you said anything, they'd probably do it. But it isn't because that particular language is actually really effective. It's the fact that you're simply asking. So I give the— It's the recipient of the message. It's not necessarily the message itself. It, exactly. Yeah. And I give people credit for asking. I, I really do. But I, my simple argument or my simple, simple contrarian point of view is when you say the phrase, oh, by the way— you are already sort of setting them up like you're going to correct their grammar, like I said on stage. But then you also say, I'm never too busy. You make yourself the center of the conversation, the center of the actual uh, connection and relationship. And as I mentioned on stage, the four most important words in marketing are the best for me. Everyone wants to know what's in it for me. So yes, if they're going to reciprocate and give you something of value, they want to know what's in it for me. And I think that's the challenge we have right now is that it's good to ask the question because it's a lot worse not to. But if you're going to ask the question, there's a better way to do it. Putting the consumer at the center of the question, figuring out how to add value in their lives, allows you to ask the question over and over again. Alex, if I were to ask you, let's say you, you and I just had an amazing transaction. 
I helped you buy a home in Overland Park. You spent $3 million on it or how much, <laughs> like, how much they cost here. And you and, and you loved it and I did an amazing job. I helped you save money on all these different aspects and, and you were my biggest fan. I said, Alex, at the end of the transaction, I said, hey, oh, by the way, Alex, do you know anybody uh, who might be interested in buying a home? I'm, ne- I'm really never too busy for referrals. Okay. Uh, like You might say, yeah, I got somebody. Then what am I going to say to you next month? Hey, Alex, is Jimmy calling up again? Oh, by the way, I'm never too busy for referrals. Then what am I going to say the third month? Oh, by the way, I'm ne- like, what am I going to keep? Like, you, if you just ask once, you're emptying the chamber. And like, for for what reason? Have you given that person any value to, to reciprocate with a referral in the meantime? Yeah, there's a wonderful yeah. book that every, all your listeners should check out. It's uh, Robert Cialdini's book uh, on influence. and pre He calls it pre-suasion. And one of the principles that Robert Cialdini coaches on and talks about as a psychologist is the uh, principle of reciprocation. So the ability for someone to, if I were to give you something, you would feel the need and the desire to give me something in return. So me doing this podcast for you and your listeners might create this sort of moment where you're like, I need to give something to Jimmy. Maybe I'll help him promote his brand, help him reach new people. And the study they did, Alex, which was super interesting to me, is they actually had this organization, a religious organization in the 70s. And they were actually... um, like trying to raise money for a church. These are, these people are complete wackos, right? They're trying to basically say the world's ending in 10 years mm-hmm. and they weren't raising any money. So what they started to do is saying, how can we raise money to basically build this church and recruit more followers and more believers? So what they started doing is they started going to training stations and airports and just different bus stations and they would dress up in their, their robes and they would give people coming off of the bench or off of the bus or off the plane or off the train, they give them a flower. And what happened is people was in, and then once they gave them the flower, they would then ask for the donation. And their donations went from basically nothing to raising about $100 million a year in donations. Wow. Now, what would people do? People felt guilty if they took the flower and they're like, all right, I'm just going to give you a dollar. I'm going to give you 50 cents, right? They felt guilty because they had this inherent desire to reciprocate. So what people do with those flowers? They throw them in the garbage, of course, right? And then the, the, the uh, piece of people raising money would go into the garbage, collect all the flowers, and just repeat that same process over and over again. Recycled flowers. Recycled oh, flowers. Gosh. But yeah, so it's this desire. <laughs> so my whole, pe- my whole theory that we have tested and proven that works and I want people to take it and expand it and make it better is that if you actually give people value, they will have an inherent desire to reciprocate and which you have the better opportunity to sort of repeat that cycle over and over again. Give your clients a flower, ask for some money and then pick it up in the trash and do it again. That's the angle. That's awesome. That's so what was the second part of the question? I the, forgot. <laughs> the, the second part of the question is why do agents, mm-hmm. um, why I, I we see it in our own marketplace. Um, why do agents treat their customers the way that we're treated every day by these corporate other bigger corporations and we don't even like it? Yeah. I think one of the examples that you had there was a, a picture of a model um, and it, it was uh, 21 days. To I like get, how you remember that one to get bikini. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to say, but it, it was 21 days to get bikini ready. Yeah, and then to opt out. Yeah. Of the email at the bottom, it said, no thanks, I already have my bikini body. Yeah. And and which you pointed out how trash that is. Yeah. But we don't go to that extreme because that's not, I mean, we're not talking about people's bodies, obviously, when we're selling real estate. But we do treat our customers poorly sometimes. And when I say we, a select few agents. Yeah. But it happens. Why do those people, why do we think that's okay? Well, I think it's, I, I think it's not intentional. 
I don't think people intend to offend individuals by creating marketing campaigns that make the consumer feel stupid if they don't make the decision that they think is the best decision for them. So when you see ads and there's a sort of this passive aggressive movement in marketing and advertising in an effort to drive results. So if I were to say uh, in that particular ad, no, I don't want a bikini body, I'm trying to shame that individual right. into making a decision. The equivalent in real estate is if you don't do something now, you're going to really miss out. What you're really trying to do is you're trying to shame them into making a decision that you really have no idea if it's the right decision. If they're completely broke and they their job, they might lose their job. It's probably not a good time to buy real estate, honestly. And if they if they have no equity in their home and they're they're deep in credit card debt, it's probably not a good idea to sell your home at this particular moment. So, and this is the thing is that the amateur real estate agent will listen to this and say, Jimmy, it's always a good time to buy and sell. The professional will say it depends. They'll say it depends on the situation of the individual. Investing in real estate is a very smart decision for, for many, many people. But the actual time in which you should do it depends on the consumer and their personal situation. And the professionals understand this. And I promise you, we work with nearly 1,000 clients across the country. There's not a single one of them what we try to convince or persuade someone to do something that's not in their best interest. So I think when we think about that, why doesn't it apply to our marketing? That's my question. So if you're not going to tell someone you need to buy a house who shouldn't buy a house when you meet to them face-to-face, why are we doing it in our marketing? Right. And that's the problem that we have right now in advertising is that we have, again, because we copy other people's advertising campaigns, thinking that someone somewhere along the way is smarter than us, came up with this idea, and it works, when in fact they're just sort of copying somebody else. We think that that's the pathway, and the pathway really is – if you are actually the doctor where you are prescribing information or a solution to someone based on their needs and their the problem and the situation that they're in, you develop an authority. And that's what branding and marketing is really all about. It's about becoming the authority so people associate you as a trusted resource. What were the three T's again? We had teach, tailor, and what was the third? Yeah, so there's a book called uh, The Challenger Sale. And it's a wonderful book on sales and talks about these three concepts of how you basically master sales, the sales process. And it's uh, the, the angle uh, that they use in the book is teach, tailor, and take control. Now, I can't talk about sales without talking about my partner, Chris Smith, who is the best-selling author of The Conversion Code. Um, one of the things that Chris, uh, what I believe, has done so exceptionally well is promote this idea called behavior-based follow-up. So in the, in the sense of sales, talk about like old techniques that um, people have been doing for a long time in real estate and no one's really challenging the conventional wisdom. Examples of that, Alex, are going to be things like calling expireds, calling FISBOs, door knocking, sending out cold, unsolicited emails, um, trying to annoy people into doing business with you. And I wrote this article on our blog many years ago called Never Cold Call Again. And I basically pointed out the fact that if you have to do something that you hate to get done to you, why are you doing it? Alex, do you like to be cold called? No. Okay. Alex, if I show up in your door and knock on your door at 8 in the morning to ask you if you want to be mad. Okay. So, 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 <laughs> so like, why, why, like this, like, so we all would say the same thing. Yeah. So like we've been, it's, it's completely insane. So uh, what Chris, my partner at Curator, uh, has done so brilliantly, in my opinion, is he started basically promoting this concept called behavior-based follow-up, which is if you send a marketing campaign out, an ad, an email, a blog post, a text, based on their activity, you can then establish intent. And then your follow-up can be specifically 
tailored to that individual's needs. So if I send you an email, do you need to sell your home this spring to, before you buy a new one? If you open up that email and you click through that article, I know something about you. So if I want to call you up on the phone, hey Alex, this is Jimmy with Remax calling. The reason I'm calling is because it sounds like you're interested in basically buying a home or selling your home, but you can't do it until you basically, or you're looking to buy a home, but you can't do it until you sell your home. Tell me a little bit more about your situation. Like now all of a sudden it's deeply personalized, deeply relevant to that individual. That's behavior-based follow-up versus, I don't even know if we have a name for basically just treating everyone like a nail and pounding them like a hammer with a hammer. It's like this type of cold calling outreach to me is insane. And what they're going to say, Alex, the critics, and I know you don't have critics listening on this podcast, but <laughs> the critics will say, Jimmy, the top producing agent in my market has been doing this for 30 years. Okay. Well, they're living off their reputation. Right. That's what you forget. They've got a 30-year head start on you. So if you're going to try to repeat their business model, you got 30 years to wait to make that happen. Like they got a network. And yeah, they're doing the things to help drive business, you know, and, and sometimes you got to do things to get the job done to get yourself in a position to, to do things that have a longer-term benefit. I get that. Like if it, if you're cold calling, you're prospecting, it's working right now, great. Keep doing it. But take that revenue you're generating and start investing in digital marketing to build your brand so you can attract so you don't have to chase. So here's my question for mm -hmm. you. Uh, we, we've all, uh, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us have invested in CRMs for our business. Yeah. Are CRMs smart enough to do what you're talking about? Uh, and, and if so, I think it's okay for you to tell us which ones. Mm -hmm. Are there CRMs out there that will allow us to tailor our marketing specifically to their needs? Sure. So the funny thing about CRMs, Chris, uh, my partner, wrote a blog post on our website called The Death of a Salesforce. And he just published it maybe two or three months ago, I think now. And he studied the, the history of CRMs. So CRMs have been around for 30 years now, 25, 30 years now. And when they started, the whole idea was to take your Rolodex and digitize it, put it online as an example, and relatively simple, relatively straightforward, and it revolutionized the entire sort of sales process by having that information readily available. And then you had monsters enter into the space like Salesforce. Uh, Mark Benioff, the founder of Salesforce, former Oracle exec, uh, launched Salesforce, I think, back in 99. And now they're, uh, I don't know what the exact valuation is, but I want to say somewhere north of like $25 billion selling enterprise sol CRM solutions to different businesses. And what has happened is the CRM space has exploded, where CRM actually, as a category in technology, is growing like 10 or 15% year over year, something crazy like that. That's unheard of for a mature industry. What people are very much looking for in the sales space as they're looking for, who should I call, why should I call them, and what do I say? And that's the role of a, a good CRM. Who should I call? It should be very obvious. Why am I calling them? What, what have they done recently? And what should I say? And what's interesting about that is the CRM space, they have in the last, especially the last 10 years, have added action plans, tags, lead assignment, round robin. They've added you know different types of behavior-based tools that you can basically surface people's information the lead conversion rate has stayed exactly the same. Wow. So so <laughs> I'm going to come back to answer your question about what can CRMs do to help you actually convert more leads. It's not the CRM's job to help you convert more leads. It's marketing's job. If your salespeople are doing marketing's job, that's a very expensive proposition. So what you have to do before you get into the CRM space is you first have to say, I need to develop marketing campaigns that specifically help me identify who to call, why to call them, and what to say. And that is really thinking very thoughtfully about what am I going to present to these individuals that's going to add value and also qualify those individuals. And then once you get to the CRM space, you know, Curator, we have a tool called Convert, which just simply surfaces the best people you should follow up with. We organize them by 
points basically like a lead score and then what we end up doing is saying like here you know here's all this information so you know exactly who you should call and why you should call them and what you should say listen that that technology we built our clients love it they use it every single day and there are other tools out there. Uh, you know, I just saw recently uh, Compass Bot Contactually. Mm-hmm. Our friends at Follow Up Boss that we integrate with, uh, amazing people. Uh, you got things like Boomtown, Tiger Lead, Zerpal, you, you name it. A lot of them have great CRMs and have variations of the different features. The challenge is, is that a CRM is only as good as the marketing. So for Curator, we start with marketing because that's if you got a list of people to follow up with and you have no marketing campaigns, it's a glorified version of cold calling. If you have crap copy in your email campaigns, mm-hmm. you're not going to get any leads. Exactly. So I think that I think people look at CRM technology as the answer to their problems when in fact their problems are really related to the marketing that they're producing that creates the leads in the CRM. You got to go back to that sort of first principles thinking, starting with like, okay, what am I trying to accomplish? Why is my lead conversion terrible? Is it because my salespeople are terrible? Maybe not. Is it because they're not putting effort in? Probably not. Is it because they don't know who to call? Maybe not. Maybe it's because there's not any qualified leads to call in the first place. And that's not CRM's problem. That's your marketing's problem. That's awesome. That was really good insight. Cool. <laughs> we, we actually just launched, launched a CRM uh, with our company, and it's been, I've, I've played with quite a few different ones, yeah. and, and it's just, it's really interesting because they all seem to do just about the same thing. Yeah, they, 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 they end up all kind of doing the same thing. And listen, whether you're Gary Keller and you got the new command, or right. you're Remax and they got whatever the thing's called, Bouge, I think it is, if I'm not mistaken, or you're uh, Compass and you're buying contactually, like uh, more power to them. I, I think they're trying to solve real problems for their agents. They're trying to figure out how they can help them grow their business by helping them develop tools and technologies to help them achieve their goals. But I, I want every one of your listeners to understand something very simple and very fundamental to growth and business. As a company has grown to $15 million a year in annual revenue every year, like it starts with marketing. If you're not good at marketing, you can't communicate your story, you can't communicate your value proposition, you can't convince and persuade people that basically want to hire you, it doesn't make a difference what technology you choose. I'm saying that as a guy who's built technology. We have a marketing and sales platform. We have a version of a sales tool, which is like a CRM. Like it doesn't matter. Like it, that, that, like we love, we love our, our, our technology, our clients love our technology, but like it doesn't matter unless your marketing is good. So we've always been a marketing first company and technology simply solve those problems that are sort of in that marketing process that make it difficult for you to execute. It's one more reason why we won't be taken over by robots, right? You, you kind of uh, ended your presentation by saying, <laughs> we're not going to be taken over by robots, but yeah, we can have the, we can have the CRM. We can have all of this stuff that's mm-hmm. digitized, yeah. but if we don't have the human element of marketing in there, sure. then it's, uh, it, it's not going to work. Man, it makes it, total it, sense. It, it's so exciting to be in the space right now. If you're a real estate agent and you're real estate listening right now to this podcast, I think it's there's no better time right now for you to be in a space. And I realize competition is stiff. You got things like Compass, you got things like Redfin, you got Purple Bricks, who I keep making fun of because I think the name is ridiculous. You got other companies out there who are trying to replace you, do discount brokerage. Above my office in Boston, um, there is a big billboard that just went up. They replaced the JetBlue and it's Redfin. And all it says is 1% listing fee. So you got everyone who's kind of racing to the bottom to try to cut right. your commission. And I, I think there's no better time in this space to be able to grow your business using marketing than today. Because when consumers have a lot of choices, they get confused. 
and when they have a lot of choices and they get confused, they're going to be attracted to the people who provide clarity mm. and simplicity. Mm. So in the event that the consumers, the fact that Compass, or and Compass is not in the same bucket as these other ones, but, you know, Purple Bricks or iBuyer or, you know, Zillow. Open Door, all those. Open yeah. Door, yeah. like you, you name it. Like all these companies entering the space, actually all they do is add confusion for the consumer. Mm. And, and where does a consultant where does an expert thrive? They thrive when consumers are confused. If the consumers knew exactly what to do, then we would all be out of business. Consumers have all this information. Barry, uh, Barry Schwartz had a famous TED Talk, Alex, uh, where he talked about the paradox of choice. And he talked about how we all think that choice provides us happiness. If you go to a restaurant and that restaurant has more dishes to eat, more different options, then that, that for a consumer, you're like, oh, that's, that's better because I, I want to be able to choose. In fact, what happens is, is that over a certain point, three, four, five choices, your level of anxiety begins to rise because you think you're going to make the wrong decision. Hmm. And that's what's really happening right now. Is really. that why I get anxious in the Cheesecake Factory? <laughs> that's, well, <laughs> how big are those menus, right? <laughs> like 12 pages, more than that. You got you to yeah. stick to whatever you know. That's then it. I got ads for accountants and stuff <laughs> in there too. Listen, <laughs> if, your ad, if your marketing strategy involves promoting yourself on a Cheesecake Factory menu, you guys need to come see me. Please, I'll do a free con. If you're advertising on Cheesecake Factory menu, I will do a free consultation for you. I'll help you out. I love it. So, one of the ways is the way you started. Maybe not the exact way you started. What are the things that you said at the beginning of your presentation? Well, I started with Tom Brady joke. That didn't go over well. It didn't. The AB, go over very well. the AB guy <laughs> screwed that up. I had that set up. The AB guy screwed that up. I'm, it was a great. I was gonna say we're like, still a little raw here from from all of that. I think so. So it was, well, you guys got great barbecue. We got five Super Bowl rings, so I think it's oh, even trade up. Evens out, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it does. We have no it good does. barbecue in Boston. <laughs> it's still we, too soon. All right, <laughs> there's nothing you could say that can make that not too soon. All right, so uh, you you talked about content generation, mm -hmm. of course, which is what we've been talking about kind of this whole time. You, you know what? I just marketing. thought. I just thought of something. I, I should I should have said. I should have ended the presentation with the future is bright with a picture of Patrick Mahomes. That would that, oh, that, that would have been great. That, that would have been that like olive branch I could have extended. That was audience. a missed opportunity, it, man. You know what? <laughs> I, I feel like afterwards some post editing we can add that. All right, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. So you talked about content generation, yeah, and which is kind of what we've been talking about the whole time. You mm -hmm. have to have a good marketing director. You have to have good marketing yep. and good content in order for everything to work. Um, on social media in particular, mm -hmm. there uh, are a few companies out there that generate content. Mm -hmm. and then thousands of agents take that content and they put it out there on their own social media. Mm -hmm. It's all shared over and over again. I know the algorithms don't like it, and I think that deep down we all know that it probably doesn't work all that well. Mm -hmm. What's your take on that? What do we need to be doing for content generation specifically for social media? Well, you got companies like KCM. Steve Harner is one of the smartest guys I know in real estate, um, and his company does exactly what you described. Huh. For, 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 <laughs> first off, I think, I, 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 I think it's – first, I, I actually think the, the effort is noble. Mm -hmm. And I think Steve Harney and, and, the, and KCM's intention is for you to educate yourself and then personalize and localize that to your area. Right. And obviously, if you're busy and you don't really have a lot of time, you're probably not going to do any of those you things. You just copy it and you throw it in there. You copy and yep. paste it. But listen, content is only one aspect of a marketing campaign. It is an important aspect of the marketing campaign, but it's only one aspect. As I was ex explaining during the presentation at Recharge, 
if you start with this idea of what is my deliverable? What is about the content I want to basically be able to share? But then you have to set, say, okay, well, let me develop a campaign in which now I can promote this content effectively to people to reach them in a meaningful way to get them to basically engage with that. And then how do I give that content away? Do I allow them to view it for free? Do I ask them to download the information? And then what happens after they download it? Do I put them on a campaign in which they receive a series of emails that basically qualify that individual? And then do I retarget them with additional ads based on their you know intention? Like content is, if your goal, if you're just simply putting content out there, you're simply posting, you're not running a marketing campaign. A marketing campaign is an orchestrated series of events that are specifically designed driving towards one outcome. And that involves ads, emails, content, retargeting, landing pages, confirmation pages, action plans. It involves all those things. And when you, in, maybe the audience was able to gather that when you kind of put those things together, you've got magic. You got something really special, and I keep saying this. Hopefully, you get leads, qualified leads. You get qualified uh, yeah. leads. You raise awareness that you exist. You get traffic to your website. You get qualified leads, and you win the opportunity to basically build a meaningful relationship with these individuals. All those things are possible when you have a marketing campaign. Content is an essential piece of that, but it isn't the entire piece. So you can't just produce super high quality content and just expect it to drive results. You have to put it behind a marketing campaign. Uh, I, I got a I got a lot of heat recently when I said this on a podcast, our podcast of Water Cooler, when I said Zillow is a tax you pay for being bad at marketing. Hmm. And people got really upset with me about that, people who were in the Zillow camp, and I'm not in either one of these camps, right? But they said, you know, that's not true. Really successful agents market on Zillow. I said, yeah, that, that, that may be true. But if you have to pay someone else to promote your business and that's a requirement for you to drive leads – the listings that people are hiring you to promote. Hire you have you to, to hire somebody else to do it for you. Yeah, then, then yeah. what you're doing is sort of outsourcing. You're outsourcing what I think it should be an essential part of your, your muscle memory is yeah. marketing. And I'll give you an example of this. Alex, you ever fly Southwest Airlines? Always. Okay. So where do you buy Southwest Airlines tickets? Southwestairlines.com. .com. Do you buy on Travelocity? I don't. Do you buy on Expedia? I don't. Do you buy it on Orbitz? Nope. Okay. Do they sell it on any of those sites? I think they do. They don't. They don't. They only sell Southwest tickets on on Southwest.com. I did not know that. Yeah, You didn't know that and you didn't care. I didn't. Because you go to <laughs> SouthwestAirlines.com to buy tickets. So my argument is, and, and for the audience listening right now, if you were to think about the only profitable airline over the last 40 years is... Southwest. Southwest Airlines. So, okay, maybe there's a connection there, Alex. Maybe the fact that if you control your brand, your marketing, your messaging, you control the going direct to consumer, you don't have to rely on third-party distributors to basically reach and engage and sell your thing that you're selling, in this case, listings. Now, listen, it can be a gap wedge. You can use Zillow as a part of your overall marketing strategy. My big fear is that people become overly leveraged on a particular strategy and then... So to get squeezed out of the market. So if you were asked the average Zillow Premier agent, did you get more results from Zillow five years ago versus today? They would say, yes, absolutely. It's been harder and harder for me to generate business from Zillow. Oh, like it's, this is not me trashing Zillow. It's just pointing out a fact that if you are able to go direct to consumers, you have a better opportunity to win business at a lower cost and not compete against your competition. Now, you can still complement your business with paid advertising through Zillow if you want, but don't become dependent on it. So when I said this on the water cooler, one of their reps came on and said, this person's an idiot. They don't know what they're talking about. 
they didn't disclose the fact that they're a Zillow employee, which was I thought unethical. But uh, they they said all these things, and uh, they failed to realize my larger point is that Zillow is a tax you pay for being bad at marketing. It doesn't mean that you it's a bad thing to invest in Zillow. It just means that you should also be considering how to become independent of these channels to be able to grow your business. And that offends you. I'm sorry, but the fact is is that the best brands in the world are able to do this. You don't go to a third-party site to buy products on Amazon. You go to Amazon. You don't go to a third-party site to buy tickets to Southwest. You go to Southwest. Pearl Jam used to sell all their tickets on their website. I think they hmm. got sued because of it. But you know that's that is that is a strategy in which some of the best brands in the world execute. Like think about Apple. Does Apple let other people sell their product? Very they rarely. Do, but rarely. Like and with best, lots of lots of restrictions. Yeah. Like look, yeah. when you walk into a Best Buy Apple. Yep, as it exists. is an Apple booth. It looks like Apple. Yeah. It doesn't look like, be- it doesn't look like Best Buy's crappy shelves. So like, right. And they're like, like, like DVD software. Like, got it the looks- sexy wooden white and it's all they got screens. All, they got all of yeah. that right now. Yeah, Alex <laughs> is smiling ear to ear as we're talking about Apple. We've got an Apple fanboy here, obviously. Uh, um, but, you know, but the thing is, you're absolutely right. Like It is – Apple controls the experience. So even if they're going to go into selling at a Best Buy or they're going to go sell with another retailer, they control the experience. So within a Best Buy, it's a mini Apple. It's not a, a – Mini Best Buy that happens to sell Apple products. So the mo- the most valuable company in the world is Amazon on paper right now. Uh, close second, depending on the time of the day, is Apple. Both of these brands are obsessed over controlling the consumer experience. So I just think there's lots of lessons we can learn there as realtors that we have an opportunity to to build up those muscles. And that's why at, at Curator, we just believe that there's a better way to grow your business. And it starts with focusing on developing marketing campaigns to help drive your success. As opposed to simply thinking marketing is just something else that someone else should do. Like marketing should become core to your business if you're in the services space. Isn't it fascinating how people hire us? Our, our, the, our business, the whole point of our business is that we market properties. Mm-hmm. And yet we are so poor sometimes, some agents are so poor at marketing themselves. Yeah. And if you can't market yourself, how do you expect a consumer to turn around and think that you can effectively market their property? Yeah, it's funny you say that because one of my favorite authors, a guy named Chris Voss, former FBI negotiator, wrote a wonderful book called Never Split the Difference. Love it. It's a great book. And, and, and we had him at our conference a while back. And, um, you know, he teaches, uh, for your listeners, he teaches negotiation, expert negotiation. And what's fascinating about uh, Chris is that he talks about, I think negotiation is something, it's similar to interviewing. It's, it's similar to marketing. Where because it's not particularly difficult to understand the concept, we think we're naturally good at it. It's similar to speaking. You know, there's an art to presenting. There's a there's a cadence. There's a, there's a craft to it that if you learn that craft, you can get better at it. We think that we're good managers because we just happen to be a manager. And negotiation is sort of the same thing, and marketing is sort of the same thing. So when Chris Voss, one of the stories he tells is this idea that if you were to go into a, a listing presentation, and I would say to you, Alex, uh, my fee is six percent, and before I even said any of that, I would say, well, what are the services you offer? Well, I'm great at negotiation. I'm great at marketing your property. I deliver amazing service. I'm going to help you sell your home for the most amount of money and the least amount of time. Now, if you said to me, Alec, or you said to me, Jimmy, could you do it for 5%? I said, you know what? Yeah, I could probably do it for 5%. Now, what did I just do? I just told you I was great at negotiation. And my first bit of objection to lower my commission, I conceded. So what's going to happen when someone lowballs my house? Are you going to concede that quickly? So one of the things that people need to think about when they think about marketing or negotiation or communication is like if you're in a listing presentation and someone says to you, hey, you should lower, you know, can you do it for 5%? Your competitor would do that. Simply say, well, I wouldn't be great at negotiation if I simply just offered you a discount the first time we had a conversation. 
In fact, if anyone else did that, think about what's going to happen when someone else comes and lows balls your property. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you've repositioned your 6% as something that's worth it versus a fee, it becomes a value add. So marketing is so much like that in the sense that it is something that you need to become as a service professional in this real estate industry. You need to think about this as your job. You shouldn't think about this as something that's kind of like a pain to do. It takes a lot of time or I never have a lot of time. Like, are you telling me that successful people aren't busy? I just started this podcast just saying I work 80 hours a week. Like people are busy. Everyone's busy. So if your excuse is busy, it just means you're inefficient at what you do. There's no other real reason. Is Oprah not busy? You know, like, of course she is. She got a million things going on. So your ability to execute these ideas requires you to maybe reorganize your priorities to focus on the things that really drive growth for your business versus, um, uh, this idea of getting caught in the whirlwinds famously from that book E-Myth, right? Like the whirlwind, yeah. which is like, you know, getting, getting caught up in the things that really aren't required to grow your business and help you market and help you sell, but like suck you in to spend two hours in a meeting talking about, you know, do you want to get a Keurig machine or an espresso machine? <laughs> you know, like that, like that stuff, like it just, party exists. planning. Yeah. yeah, yeah it just, right. it, it just exists within a business. So, um, I'm hoping your listeners will hopefully get something out of that. Have you read Building a Story Brand? Yeah, so I we, could tell you did because nah. you mentioned bringing, uh, positioning the consumer as the hero. Yeah, I just think that it, uh, if you haven't read that book, it's a fantastic book. Uh, do you want to talk on that just a little bit and how you might be able to do that through uh, different uh, marketing campaigns? Yeah, so uh, Alex is referring to Don Miller the uh, author of Building a Story Brand. And uh, Don Miller was actually a speaker at our conference Excellence in Boston this past year. I had a chance mm-hmm. to meet him, talk with him for a while, learn a little bit more about him. Fascinating story. Former writer, started the business, uh, business helping people clarify their message so they can sell more. We actually, after our conference, we sent two of our members of our staff down to uh, uh, Nashville to become Story Brand certified experts. Four-day intensive course in which they basically sat down with Don and JJ and, awesome. uh, uh, and went through that process. And what was interesting about that is Don has, I I think, done such a wonderful job being able to establish himself as the guy who owns story. And his whole argument is that stories are the way in which people justify buying anything. You know, people think about the right brain, left brain, you're intellectual, you're emotional. Like, let's be really clear about something. People tell themselves a story to make every purchasing decision, especially as a larger decision. And it, it might be irrational. It might be something that's confusing or something that's like hard to explain, but it's actually something that everyone does. It's not, it doesn't come down to features or benefits. It comes down to who has a better story. And I'll give you one quick pro tip here. Having studied Don Miller, met Don Miller, had him at our conference, read his book, listened to his podcast. One of the things that I, I learned through that experience, uh, being sort of a student of the game, is that there's two parts to it. The first is the story in which you want to convey. Meaning, what does curator want to be known for? What would you want people to think about when you think of a Volvo? I want you to think about safety. When you think about curator, I want you to think about marketing. Well, that's that part's hard. It is to kind of go through that framework and put your customer as a hero and and to have all to have a uh, you know uh, this kind of angle where you're trying to kind of drag that out there, develop your one liner. That's not easy. But the 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 real magic happens when you're able to craft a story that makes it easy for the people who know you to spread the word. So um, as an example, if I don't know anything about Alex, but Alex, if, like what are some of your favorite products as an example? Like what do you? I mean, Apple. It's bad. You love, you love Apple? <laughs> I have what, an Apple problem. Yes, I could tell. But <laughs> with an Apple watch just sort of creeping out yeah, of you. Like, oh, but like, you know, it, it, whether it's cars or whether it's like if you it, – like, how, how do you know someone likes CrossFit? Uh, 
they talk about it constantly. Exactly. They're like the loudest you don't, people you don't, at the gym. You, yeah. it, so, so CrossFit's easy to explain. Right. So the brand is easy to spread. So if you if you want to know if someone has CrossFit, just wait because they'll tell you. That's the joke, <laughs> right? Is that like, and they're like, oh, it's this great. It's life changing. I'm getting really strong. My and then, form's not great, but <laughs> hey, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then like they, they blow out their knee. They can't move their hip. They tear their ACL. They dislocate their shoulder and they're back in therapy for two years. But like CrossFit is something that has spread because is easy to explain for sure for people to explain it to people so the greatest brands uh so don does a wonderful job at it is he helps people clarify their message but great brands take it one step further which is they really think about how it how their consumers can help spread their brand and that's hard to do if you want to be known for something you want to have an association with something you got to be focused you got to be sort of put those blinders on, be really disciplined about something and be willing to say, this is not my customer. So when people hear me on this podcast say, you know, I think investing in Zillow and being coming over leverage is a bad idea. I think using old traditional methods like, oh, by the way, I'm never too busy for referrals. I'm immediately alienating people who disagree with me. People are going to listen and saying, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He, 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 you know, I've been selling homes for 30 years. He's a 33-year-old kid from Boston. What does he know? That, that, that's okay with me. I'm very comfortable, not just because I'm from Boston, alienating people, but I'm just very comfortable because <laughs> I know that there are certain people who are listening to what I'm saying saying, yeah, I feel the same way he's, he feels. I share the same philosophy as he feels. Unless you're bringing up Tom Brady. Uh, unless I, yeah. Well, I only bring up Tom Brady when I'm speaking in Kansas City. <laughs> If I ever speak in LA, it's, I, don't, I don't think I'll bring it up because that was just a terrible game. But um, but yes, it was. It's one of those things where I think your willingness to sort of have a point of view is what attracts the right people. But you have to understand, if you're going to attract people, you're going to also repel people, and and not enough people are willing to do that, Alex. They're not. They're not willing to say this is what I believe. If that's going to offend somebody, like I'm sorry if you're offended by what I said. But I'm not sorry because there's certain people who are listening who are very much saying, I believe what this guy believes. And there's enough of those individuals out there that have helped us grow our business. And we're not going to sort of deviate from that. So you've got to be willing. And I think Don does a great job with this. Like we be willing to sort of develop that story, but then also, also be willing to sort of have a point of view that you're willing to stand for something. And if you do that, then it's easy for people to understand who you are, what you do, and believe what you believe the old simon Sinek thing right yeah. start with why that's awesome i i think we're probably we this is plenty for our listeners uh, i think that you've been amazing i don't have an apple watch so i have no idea how, how I, much time we've been i don't even for. know what time it is i don't i don't really care but do you have time for one more question because sure. i have to say something all right you are totally my style which is great because uh, one of the things that drives me nuts is when copy Sounds like it was written by a corporation. Mm -hmm. Every email that you presented uh, up on the screen, everything was as though somebody wrote it. Yeah. And I really, really appreciate that. Even the text message yeah. that I got when I texted you at a little, uh, can, I, can I say what you were supposed to text to yeah, whatever? Yeah, sure. Okay. So you can text 617-420-7111, and you need to text the word Jimmy which happens to be Jimmy's name, believe it or not. Yeah. And you're going to get a text message. And my I'm going to read e my this. My ego's getting too big here. I'm, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this text message. It says, thanks. What is your email address? And I will send you all of the slides from today. Mm -hmm. I'm going to point something out. And I don't want, I think you, I don't know if you did it intentionally or not. You probably didn't. It says, I'm going to read it again. What is your email address? And I will send you all of the slides from today. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you wrote that message. There's there's yeah. a there's a typo in there. Yeah. Everything is so like yeah. it just, and I love it. 
I really love that because people don't feel like they're talking to a real human being a lot of the time. Well, it's so funny. First off, uh, my marketing team wrote that message. So it wasn't me that wrote that message. So they said, hey, Jimmy. You have a hell of a marketing team. Yeah. So well, Which isn't a surprise. I I would like to take credit for an improper use of grammar there. Uh, but you know what the thing is, is that like, I'll give your listeners one last tip here. When I think about writing an email, so I, so I do a lot of copywriting for our clients, I'll, you know, because it's just something I love to do. And I, and I love to think about different angles and strategies and, and, and tactics. And when I write an email, if I'm going to write an email to, let's say 3000 people, even if I'm doing a presentation to 600 plus people, I actually, in my mind, I go through this process where I say, I'm, I have to visualize a individual I'm sending a message to. So even though this is a one-to-many type of uh, marketing campaign, I write it as if I'm speaking to an individual. Mm. And therefore, the language and the tone and the, and the feeling that you're going to get is, is as if it is personalized to you. And that is actually something that oftentimes, for some reason, people like to kind of go this corporate voice where they sort of like they sort of zoom the lens out and say, what is the appropriate way to say, like, do you need to sell your home? Just say, do you need to sell your home? Like, hey, just checking in. Do you need to sell your home? Because I'm working on some things right now and let you know if you don't, I got some information you might like. Like, if not, it sounds like a computer generator and you're going to swipe right and delete. Yeah. We have this famous <laughs> uh, technique at Curator. It's called the nine word email. And I don't know if this is exactly nine words now, but it's like the simple question is, is like, hey, do, I'm checking in. Do you need to sell your home this year? And like, it's just like a very direct question that people are like, oh my God, this is so innovative. No, it's just like a direct question. <laughs> like, it's like you can use it like in the right situation, but like, it's just, we're asking people, hey, do you have any plans? You know, my one last plug for Chris Voss, my favorite Chris Voss line. So Chris Voss was um, helping a, a corporation raise more uh, money for a political organization, the Democrats. And in the book, he profiled this. And he talked about this idea that they're calling around saying, hey, you know, uh, Democrats are probably not going to have a lot of problems raising money this time around. But he, he had a lot of situations where he's like, how do you, how do you get people, people to basically invest? Because it was like, you know, there was already a Democrat. They probably weren't going to win the White House at the particular time. So what they started to do is said, hey, would you like to donate to the Democratic Party? Be like, oh, no, like you guys ain't going to win. And then what they started to do is they changed language. They said, hi, Alex, have you given up on trying to take back the White House? And what do you think people's reaction to that is? Like, hell no. Like, I'm, right. I'm, abs- I'm all in. Like, no, like, here's my credit card. Have you given up on trying to take back the White House? Now, what that does is it actually says this thing, the White House, is yours. So, and, and then Bill Clinton was elected. Yeah, that's, probably, probably, that's probably around that same time. Is, but yeah. what, ha- what happens is like, have you given up on trying to sell your mm-hmm. home this year? Yeah. Have you given up on trying to find that per- – you get, you get a list of 1,000 buyer, buyer leads. Have you given up on trying to find that perfect home? Yeah, inventory short right now. I mean, that's perfect. Have you given up on trying to find the perfect house? And people are going to be like, yeah, I kind of have. Like I'm just completely at a loss. Right. Everything's selling for more money than I have. I don't have enough time. I don't have a big enough down payment. Things are moving really quickly. Like, Do you think that's someone you could work with? Probably. Have you given up on trying to do blank? So I think this is where cop like my favorite definition. I, I can go on for this for hours. How much time we got here, Alex? Uh, I got I, I got I got <laughs> I got a lunch I got to go to here. But I, I, the last thing I'll say is that my favorite definition of copywriting, uh, a book that everyone should check out, which is how to write copy that sells. It's like a staple I have in my backpack. I have it on my computer when I work. How to write copy that sells. Back in I think 1912, uh, there was a gentleman uh, by the name of Joe E. Kennedy. And I don't know if he's related to Kennedy's or not, but he was actually in, uh, went to a Madison Avenue uh, advertising firm, and he uh, was trying to get a job, and he uh, 
wasn't really, you know, his resume, whatever that was at the time, wasn't really getting a lot of bites because this was like, you know, back in the Mad Men era where it was really, a, you know, a boys club type of thing. And it was very hard to, to get in. You, you know, who you knew really mattered. So Joe sent a message to the leading uh, advertising guy in Madison Avenue. And he said, this is, the, this is what the note he said because he was sitting in the – think about this. He's sitting in the, it's a 1912. He's sitting in a cafe, and he, and he has like a courier send the message out because there's no email. There's no phone. There's nothing like that. In the message, he, he writes, you know, hi, Mr. Advertising Man. I know what advertising is, period, and I know you don't know, period. So first off, that takes some guts because he's sending it to like the Don Draper of like, <laughs> of like advertising. So the guy obviously is super intrigued by this. So he comes downstairs in the cafe, and he's, and he's like, oh, let, me, let me hear you out. And he goes – copywriting is salesmanship in print that's what it is and once you understand that fundamental concept your job with writing great copy is salesmanship in print and that happens to be digital it happens to be on facebook it happens to be on instagram but that's a definition of copywriting so if you want to sell more get better at copy period that's awesome. That's perfect. That's a perfect way to sum up everything. Thank cool. you so much, Jimmy. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me on. And again, just one last plug for, for Recharge here. I had a chance to tour the country, speak a lot of events, and you guys have done something really special here, and you guys should be very proud of it. Well, thanks so much. And why don't we plug your podcast as well? First of all, if you haven't yet, make sure that you subscribe to Kansas City Real Talk by KCRAR. So click that little back button and subscribe. And then... Why don't you look up, what's the name of your podcast? Give a pitch. Yeah, the podcast is called The Water Cooler. Okay. And The Water Cooler is a show about marketing, sales, and technology. Each episode, we focus on bringing advice that works. We're available on Stitcher, on iTunes, on uh, YouTube. We're on uh, Spotify now. But if you want to tune in live every Wednesday at 1 o'clock Eastern, you can actually tune in live on our Facebook page where Chris and I share ideas and strategies similar to the one that you heard during this podcast. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks so much. And that's it for Kansas City Real Talk. Tune in next time. Hope you made it to Recharge today. If not, we hope this was beneficial.